Yep, the Knicks, the Knicks are back. Lynn puts it up. Bang! Jeremy Lynn from downtown! The New York Knicks select Kristaps Porzingis. Yes! Welcome, Neophytes, to another edition of the Dishing and Swishing podcast. My name is Joey. Cleo, how you doing this week? Woo! Feeling pretty good, Joe, this episode. We're going to recap a 3-0 week for the scalding hot New York Knicks that includes a shootout against the Los Angeles Lonzos, a road win eight stops away on the Q train, and the Madison Square Garden return of New York Knicks legend Raymond Felton. Later, we'll discuss the player now known as Beasley from the right side. And as always, we'll Oak challenge the crap out of each other, answer your mailbag questions, preview next week, and share our closing thoughts. Joey, let's get it started. Yes. Now, let, let us cover the game against the Los Angeles Lonzos, as you call them. Uh, this was a thrilling 113-109 to victory for the New York Knicks. An overtime game as well. And, uh, you know, this was, a, this was a dramatic game. It always is when the Lakers and the Knicks play such, such star power. You, you had LeVar Ball and Spike Lee dapping each other up. And uh, this, this was a really thrilling game, especially with KP and his 37 points. Uh, Cleo, what did you see out there? Yeah, I mean, that, that one stretch between Chris Gapps and Lonzo was unbelievable i mean it was like that was it had such a there was such a playoff vibe i really wish i i could get to that game i wasn't in the building but um you know that that was kind of the 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 first off the obvious lonzo debut at the garden but i mean chris stapps felt more dominant than he'd felt during his recent run of form and i, I mean i'll tell you frank had some balls I mean, Frank played really, really well, um, specifically defensively, but but all over the place. And I mean, what a fun game to watch on TV. This just shows how unbelievably deep the NBA is in terms of entertaining teams. Because you're looking at two teams who are, you know, marquee franchises, yes, but have not been contenders in recent years. And they just dazzled the crowd. I mean, it was it was really unbelievable. Yeah, and, and the bench for the Knicks was really strong. As you mentioned, Frank with his 13 points, five boards and five assists. Beasley with 13 points, McDermott with 10, O'Quinn with 8. So we've seen that, that four-man bench unit pretty consistently. Uh, sometimes Lance will be in instead of Beasley. But, uh, you know, it was, it was great to see the bench come through. And then on the Lakers side, Kuzma, he's a player, man. He He's really good. And, uh, you know, Lonzo played pretty well, uh, 17 points, 8 boards, and 6 assists. But their bench came to play, too. Clarkson was solid. Uh, Randall was solid. So, uh, you know, I was watching the game on TNT, and I think Mark Jackson said something like, this is a game where both teams should look at the other side and say, we're better than this team. We should win. And uh, I, I certainly felt that way about us. And, you know, maybe the Lakers in future years will start to feel that way about themselves, too. Yeah, and and just one thing before we move on from this game, we had 25 assists, 14 turnovers. Whenever we have a strong assist-to-turnover ratio, we're putting ourselves in a good position to win. Uh, you talked about the bench, and, and, and I talked about Frank. Joe, do you think this was Frank's best game of the year? Yes, I would say so. I mean, he really... He really... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I really think he took the challenge upon himself. You know, like similar when LeBron came to the Garden, him knowing that Lonzo is coming to the Garden, it seems like he really rises up for the big for the big moment, which is great because if you're going to play in New York, that's a necessity. An absolute necessity. Uh, how about Jarrett Jack, another 10-assist game? He has been such a steady hand for this Knicks offense, and it's been really, really you know, comforting to have him running the point. And we talk a lot about his shortcomings. Obviously, defensively, not a great three-point shooter. He was 0 for, or 0 for 1, I believe, 
uh, in the Laker game. But what he does bring to the table is he can get inside, he can hit his mid-range jumpers, and even when he's not doing that, he sets guys up and feeds the bigs. And Canner was a beneficiary, Perzingis was definitely a beneficiary, and he took pressure off of the other guards with Hardaway missing another game. Right, and and we know Jack's limitations, but I think I can say for myself and for most Nick fans, he's definitely exceeded expectations. And and what I like is pretty much what you're just saying. He's not forcing things. He's letting the game come to him, and he's focusing on setting up the other guys to shoot. You know, guys like Derrick Rose that we've had in the past. You know, they kind of hurt the team, even though he was averaging 17 points a game. Right. The fact that he's looking to get his own shot and not involve everyone else in the team kind of has a cumulative negative effect. And so with Jack on the floor, yeah, he's not giving us a ton in terms of scoring, but he's certainly not taking anything away either. And if anything, he's adding with his playmaking. Yeah. So let's uh, let's hop on the 2, 3, 4, 5, Q train, whatever you want to take, and go to the Barclays Center where the Knicks won their second home game or away game of the year. Joe, I was in the <laughs> building. Felt like a home game. Conservatively yeah. estimating 60% of the fans were Nick fans there. Conservatively. Even more up 60%? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember you texted me and said 40%. So I guess a, a 20% increase in well, I, uh, the past few so days. I texted days. you before the game, 40%. Right. And I was ba- basing it off of jerseys and just like kind of, you know, eye test. But if you listen to the game... Um, and it's probably harder to tell on TV, but in the arena, I mean, there was like a "Let's Go Knicks" chant at the end of the game. It, it was, it was, right. it was hype. It, it felt, it felt pretty cool. Um, obviously, the Nets aren't the most inspiring product on the floor, so you know the Knicks fans kind of scooped up those tickets. But I mean, it was, a, it was a fun game. Uh, you have any thoughts on a, a specific bench player who came in and? Got two blocks. Was looking <laughs> super athletic despite his uh, slight small frame. Ronnie buckets, man. Lockdown, Ron. How about him? Lockdown, Ron. Ron Burgundy. Uh, Ron. Ron has been great uh, the past few games, starting with this Nets game, and it's great to see him kind of insert himself into the rotation and take away uh, Sessions' place. Because we, we need all the help we can get at guard. And to have someone like Ron, who is a really good shooter, um, knows where to be and how to play defense, clearly that's why he got... He had two blocks and two steals. So yeah. uh, a juggernaut defensive performance from Ron. Um, so and Joe, you know very what, encouraging. What doesn't show up in the stat sheet is that I'm most confident in him getting being the most active, kind of like help defensive type of guy. Because... His mind works, you know, far better. It's almost instinctual for him. And I don't know if it's just from, from good coaching in his Wichita days or, or, or what, but it seems like he is reacting quicker and smarter um, to, to play help D and to rotate than, you know, any of our other guys off the bench. Um, right. Another really strong game for Frank. I mean, the stats yes. aren't gaudy, but he was creating his own shot. And, Joe, his misses were shots that I was glad he was taking. Yes. And his mid-range game looked pretty smooth, and he had a nice drive uh, all the way to the basket late in the game, which is something that, personally, I, I know Mike Breen always brings it up, but that we'd like to see more of because he, he has the goods to get in the paint, and sometimes it seems like he stops short and settles for jumpers or looks for someone else. But if he can start taking the ball to the rack uh, consistently like that, you know, he's already a great defender and he's already a good playmaker. He had eight assists in this game. So um, that's just the next step in his development. Yeah. So, Joey, I mean, we shot 46% from the field, 50% from three, 10 of 20. Um, most importantly, to harp on this uh, statistic again, we had 23 assists. And 13 turnovers, if you're getting plus 10, you know, assist to turnover, I, I, I take that. I take that. That shows, you know, your team's going to be scoring scoring points. Uh, another yeah. strong game for the bench. I thought Beasley played pretty well. 
um, yes, got very active, <laughs> specifically uh, in fouling the other team. <laughs> um, one negative is we we it felt like we were getting a little too handsy defensively. Um, obviously, the big story from this game it wasn't all kind of feel good as Przingis, um seemed to have banged his knee contesting a Rondé Hollis Jefferson shot who by the way before we we move on was a very bright spot for that net team I really like yes. this game uh Dinwiddie was no, he, very good as well but but RHJ is he's a nice player he's an athlete for sure I mean yeah. 25 points two blocks four steals three assists seven rebounds um that's a guy who gets after it yeah and uh you know, one one more stat I want to point out is that we've been killing the Knicks all year for their three-point defense. And in this game, uh, the Nets shot 28.6% from three. So, yeah. very encouraged. I mean, the Nets aren't the best shooters, but, you know, Alan Crabb, one for seven. He's a good shooter. Um, <laughs> Quincy <Yeah>. AC. <laughs> Quincy AC, once a Nick, always a Nick. Had a couple misses in there to help the stats, but... Um, yeah. If we can continue to guard the three-point line better, then we can hang in there with better teams. Yeah. And speak, I, speaking I speaking of better teams, great segue into the 111-96 victory for the Knicks against the Oklahoma City Thunder and the dramatic return of Carmelo Anthony. So we're going to talk mellow return and, and kind of go more of like a meta mellow conversation not a meta world piece but um we're gonna, <laughs> once in a Nick, but but uh yes <laughs> once queen's bridge always queen's bridge but um we're gonna talk we're gonna talk mellow kind of deeper um in a little bit but for now let's talk about this single game um clearly a scheduled loss for oklahoma city but we were minus our two best players <laughs> and you know, I was still kind of coming into it thinking, hey, if we keep it close, I'm happy. Um, right. And they knocked my socks. I mean, I was so happy with this win. My God, it's really set up my Saturday night well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the Thunder, we have to mention, the night before uh, played in a right. grueling three-overtime game with the Sixers. So I was watching that game, hoping the game would continue to go to as many overtimes as possible. <laughs> um, you know, like kind of like that Syracuse-UConn uh, game, was oh, it? Yeah. When, when it went to six overtimes. Oh, I was hoping for something it. like that. Yeah, yeah. You're ready for John um, Flynn to come out of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by uh, David Kahn right behind him. Oh, um, <laughs> oh yeah. But, but yeah, you know, with a team that has, even though they had the three-overtime game, with a team that has as much talent as the Thunder, and we know they spanked us on uh, the, the first game of the season. You're always nervous, especially with this Knicks team down, Porzingis and uh, Tim. But our man, Mello from the left side, Michael Beasley, outdid the actual Carmelo with 30 points. So he, he was tremendous. The actual Carmelo, you mean Beasley, Beasley from the uh, right side, right? Beasley I mean, from the right side. That was, that was honestly... Uh, I mean, Beasley, in the beginning of the game, I remember texting him, thinking like, holy crap, Beasley literally thinks he's Mello. Every time Mello hits a shot, because Mello started off the game pretty hot, Beasley's coming back and hitting, and I'm like, I hope this is sustainable, because once it starts to go south, like, this could be really bad. And in previous pods, we've said, you know, Beasley's sweet spot minutes-wise is kind of 18 after, after that. It's his curfew. He, he starts to do some crazy things. Joe, he played 38 <laughs> minutes of near-perfect basketball, was not hacking, was not turning the ball over, wasn't taking – even the contested shots he was taking felt like they were in rhythm, felt good. It was almost like one of those when J.R. Smith would have a big game a few years back and you'd know like, all right, maybe not the best shots – but definitely shots we live with, not shots that we, we shy away from because he's, you know, a rhythm shooter, a high-volume shooter, and, and once he gets going, he's hard to stop. And uh, one thing I just want to add, you mentioned the three-overtime uh, game the night before. I think it definitely hurt Oklahoma City from the free-throw line. They shot 60%. I also think it hurt them from three 
And even despite that, they shot 44%. But I thought they missed a lot of open looks, which is, you know, the one negative um, that I'll bring up. But overall, I mean, what a gutsy performance by the guys. McDermott looked great. Ron Baker, as as we've come... Tremendous. To, I mean, he, he was probably his best game as a Nick. Yep. I Easily. Mean, and he look, and the bench reactions to every make he has is like, he's clearly a locker room guy. Clearly a, a team, you know, a favorite. And we've said it all year long, the chemistry on this team, you can see it in all the games. The bench really seems to, you know, they all seem to really like one another and respond well. No one seems to be pouting or sulking or everyone seems to be happy for whoever's having success. And uh, just one more thing I wanted to come back to Beasley's stat line. He had four assists and two blocks. I don't. I need to do some deep diving, but I, I, I'm sure Michael Beasley has not had four assists in a very, very long time. You so know, and and they were great. Like I remember one of them, he flashed to the high post, and and like you know rose up like he was taking a mid range jumper and fired it down to the block to Quinn. I mean he he was making these passes, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's like his his. The game is just slowing down for him. And once in a while, guys have that type of night. But as you said before, I think it was in the Orlando game when he had his first start, you know, the away Orlando game. You liked how Jeff is not messing with, like, our bench lineup much. He's just inserting Beasley, who will basically take Porzingis' shots. <laughs> and that's no problem doing that. Right. And it doesn't really hurt chemistry and and messed up the balance of the team, he kind of he, he filled that perfectly and was terrific. Clearly his best game as a Nick. Um, Got to be up there for one of his best games as a career just for doing it on that stage. Yes. And and after making the comments about Mello from the left side and how he, he's got the talent, he went toe-to-toe with, you know, a, a former NBA All-Star and, and – some of the best players in the league, and he showed him that, yeah, you know, he might not be able to put a full season together, but he could have his night where he gives you 30. And, man, was it fun. Man, was it exciting. And, yeah, and for those of you wondering, well, how did Carmelo play in this game? Well, let me tell you, he went 5 for 18. He had one assist and three turnovers and 12 points total. So yeah, tough game. He's definitely not tough a game. guy. Definitely not a guy at this stage in his career who's going to play well after playing a three overtime game. I mean, he right. was, you know simply just due to wear and tear. The guy who was freaking me out was Westbrook, who clearly didn't have it like he normally does. And I know he's had an off year, but um, so far just trying to gel. And that's how it goes when you form these super teams. But um, he was rising up for dunks as if like he hadn't played oh, three days. Man. I mean, you know. He is just such a freaking specimen. Really fun. He had that one ferocious one late in uh, the game. Coming right down the middle. My God. Ugh. And Ed Joey, if you put a gun to my head and said, Cleo Markman, is Nick Collison still in the league? I would have probably <laughs> said no, but he is still in the league. So it was nice to see him. That's a great point. Wearing, I was shocked uh, to see him out there, too. Visiting team colors. What do you think of the jerseys of the, uh, of the Thunder? The Thunder... Um, I think they're better than what they've been wearing since their uh, inception, but I'm not crazy about any of the Thunder's jerseys, their logo, the, just their whole thing. I'm not a fan of it. To me, they kind of look, it kind of looked like a Microsoft PowerPoint slideshow, like background, like fading. <laughs> like a gradient? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was yeah. Like, not a big fan. Um, yeah, it does look a little cheap. It kind of looks like an yeah. AAU jersey. Um, a couple couple bits from this game, and then you know we'll move on. Uh, Felton got like kind of quiet, but still got booze when he entered the game. Um, <laughs> clearly, we're not over uh, his less than stellar return to the Knicks. And yeah, he, uh, he's an oak twice over <laughs> weight gain. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously the big story was Mello returning to the Garden. And we got we to gotta talk about that kind of in greater detail. Um, Joe, what, want to just say your Mellow thoughts? Yeah, so I want to talk a bit about Mello's legacy as a Nick. Because it seems to me, um, kind of judging by his reaction and just 
by the way the media kind of talks about his time in New York. There's kind of a discrepancy of, of how people feel. You know, some people believe Melo deserves love and that a lot of the, the problems of the organization were not his fault. And I think a lot of people would say, hey, this guy, uh, he forced us to, to trade for him and he, and he held us hostage on the way out. So I just want to give my perspective on, on Carmelo and what I think is the appropriate response, starting with the way he joined the Knicks. It's very common criticism of him that he should have waited until he was a free agent and then signed with the Knicks. But let's remember, the Knicks and the Nets were both hot on Carmelo's trail. They were both really trying to get him, and they both had the goods to make a deal. And Carmelo really wanted to be a Nick, but if he was, if he were to have signed as a free agent, he would have been leaving money on the table. And we know Carmelo was not the type of guy to leave much money on the table. So for everyone out there who says, well, the Knicks should, or, you know, if you want to blame Knicks management, that's one thing. But to blame Carmelo for kind of forcing his way into New York when he should have just waited, there are no sure things in this league. And if you believe that, then you could just as easily have been seeing Carmelo in a Brooklyn Nets jersey. You know what I mean? Um, right. So that's, that's the first thing. So what I'm trying to say is I don't hold that against him. If anything, blame Nick's management and the dysfunction and James Dolan kind of forcing Donnie Walsh's hand. Um, but I, I don't blame Carmelo for kind of gutting the team on his way in. That's the first thing. What, what do you think about that? I, I absolutely agree with that. You know, it's funny. Mike Breen during the game had a really, really – I thought he was great. I know you were watching a different stream, but he was terrific in that he said – Carmelo Anthony is a very polarizing player, and I'm paraphrasing right now. Um, yeah, because our stats guy is sick, you know, our quote guy is sick today, so I'm just going off the off the dome. But uh, <laughs> he said Carmelo is a very polarizing player. You know, yes, he's an elite scorer, one of the best that he's ever seen. And then he goes, but he was, you know, had was a part time defender, <laughs> and was an ISO scorer who, who dribbled the air out of the ball and or squeezed the air out of the ball, jab-stepped the air out of the ball is more like it. But And because of that, you know, the good and the bad, you know, it, it, they, they, they are weighing on each other and, and fans have varying strong opinions about him. Um, I agree right. with you. There was a, a graphic that was pulled up during the game. It was the Taco Bell take... Oh, sorry, a bunch of uh, sirens are whizzing by my house right now. But uh, the Taco Bell take, I mean the, the podcast studio, um, Liv Moss. <laughs> and he played 412 games with the Knicks. And the Knicks had a 221 and 283 record since he was traded to New York. Mm-hmm. During that time, he had 84 teammates and five head coaches. Right. I mean, it's right. just a revolving door of, of of pieces in New York, and and I think management gets part of the blame. And, and Mel is pretty honest about his failures when he was here. I mean, he didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve. Right, and that that's a great stat, by the way, about the turnover in the Knicks. And that's another point that I want to make is that you know Mello, for a brief moment earlier on in his time with the Knicks you know, when he led the league in scoring and all that, it felt to me kind of like, hey, if we have the right team around this guy, he can have a moment kind of like Dirk had uh, when he carried the Mavs to the championship. He's got the skills, and he can do it. And then he kind of had, you know, he had knee surgery here and there, and it, it felt like his his jump shot kind of started to fail him, you know? Like the one year when we won 54 games, uh, he was he was a lethal three point threat, so it's a lot more efficient for him when he's able to knock down threes. But when he's just jab stepping and taking contested mid range shots because he knows he's he doesn't have as much range, then the team suffers. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And uh, I and when and the the team that won fifty four games was brought back. I believe it was the same exact team was brought back, and then all of a sudden they won thirty seven games because J R Smith fell off a cliff, Shumpert fell off a cliff. It seemed like Tyson Chandler kind of mentally checked out. So, I don't know. Can you put that on Melo? Maybe to some extent. I mean, he was the leader of the team. Um, but 
it's, it's hard to say, you know, like this guy was a guy who wanted to be the face of the Knicks and he wanted to represent New York. And we really hadn't had that since, I don't know, uh, Stefan Marbury, maybe. And, uh, you know, I don't think maybe. I have to tell Knicks fans how that went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, um, I, no, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, Joey. And, and I truly agree. I think, um, it's a very complex, it's complicated to break down his tenure in New York. I know for me, the night we got Carmelo Anthony is one I'll never forget. Um, and the excitement and and the hope I had, I mean, I'll forever be grateful. Uh, he, he was other than Stat, he's the one guy who wanted to wanted to be here. It seemed like this was a toxic franchise that nobody would touch, just like you were saying. Um, and, and even, even during the tough times, even when all the other super teams are forming, Mello was like consistent and, you know, obviously Phil probably treated him worse than he should have. I, I think that's not necessarily a hot take. No doubt. Like a, more of a under, <laughs> it's kind of a underwhelming take there. I, I, I was, uh, but I'm lowballing it. But, but yeah, he was treated poorly and left. But I mean, it, you know, I, I look fondly back at our times with Carmelo Anthony, despite the fact that there are plenty of times where I'd be calling you up, cussing his his name because of his, you know, incessant jab stepping and lack of ball movement and lack of defense. So, right, yeah. and and I. Okay. I, I definitely want the fans out there to know that we're not mellow apologists. We we were incredibly frustrated with him uh, for for a number of years, towards the end at least. And I know personally, I was happy to see the mellow uh, saga end this off season. Um, but just want to set the record straight, just just to you know properly assess his uh, his place in the Knicks. I guess their lore and and the history of it all. And uh, a couple things, you brought up Stat. Now, I was so, super excited about Stat and Mello. You know, there was that song, I, I don't know, some, some unnamed Stat rapper. Mello, Stat Mello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't pan out. Um, you can blame it on Mello's style, but let's also for, not forget, Stat started battling these really bad back issues and knee issues, and we know that he had a ton of injury problems that pretty much derailed his entire Nick career after that first glorious uh three-fourths of a season and uh so is that Melo's fault i don't know and then phil phil gave carmelo he re-signed carmelo phil bought or <laughs> Melo bought into phil's mission and he gave him the no trade clause so for for everyone complaining about how he held right how, how he held the uh the franchise hostage at the end of his time again that's on management you really can't put it on Melo. so I was happy to see him go to OKC, um, although I will admit it kind of does give me some satisfaction to watch them struggle and to, and to hear them, you know, see that they're not really adjusting well. It's kind of like, well, that's your problem now. But, you know, if they do work it out, then they should have a chance to really be competitive, and Melo deserves that chance because he's never had it. So um, th- those are my final thoughts on, on the Melo situation. I agree, and, and you know... It, this kind of marks the end of, like, the mellow Knicks. I don't want to say, like, he, this is, like, the, the kind of punctuation mark. I mean, he came back to the Garden. He got his tribute video, which he deserved, and, you know, an emotional response for the crowd that was mostly positive. And then the game began, and he got booed. Because he's an opposing player. And from now, when he comes back to the Garden, yeah, there are going to be some guys who cheer him on. And, you know, of course, there are going to be some mellow loyalists. But he's an opposing player. And he's no different than, you know, Paul George and Russell Westbrook and Roberson and any of these guys. You know, he's he's not, like, just because of his history. And then when his career ends, we'll look back and we'll say, you know, he's one of the most talented Knicks and this, that, and the other. But... You know, now it's it's no more of this like, oh, Melo, he's one of our own. You know, it's it's over, it's over. It's time right. to move on. And that's what Courtney Lee said after the game when uh, he when they asked him. He said, uh, 
he's on the other team. It's just part of the game. It's nothing personal. Right. They, they asked him uh, why he was booed so loudly. He said, and Lee responded, he had a he had on a Thunder jersey. <laughs> I love <laughs> I that. I love that response, and it's true. It's got to be true. And he, and he uh, kept it. He kept it real, but he also kept it. Uh, yeah. You know, he didn't, he didn't start anything by saying exactly. that. Exactly. And, and w- one last thing I want to touch on is that at least we gave Mello, you know, that there's that video tribute. Um, Paul George going back to Indiana, you know, they got nothing. They they made a, a video tribute of all the Pacer greats and like specifically excluded him, and he struggled in that game, you know. So, but but Joe, uh, here's this is why, and and this is kind of the last thing I'll say, and we can move on, but because no one wants this to be the Carmelo Anthony pod, but Melo deserved the – Melo wanted to be here, and you couldn't blame him for wanting to leave once Phil went senile and whatnot. With Paul yeah. George, it's a little different. You know what I mean? Like, Paul George oh, yeah. might have been rumored to not want to be in Indiana for like four years. <laughs> Pretty much right. when he started to become seen as an elite player – he basically was seen as a future Laker. So so it's definitely a trickier thing, but I agree. I mean his you know, he he that was a much harsher return. Right. Than what Melo received. But I, I just wanted to compare the two because Paul George did take the Pacers further than Melo ever took the Knicks. And uh Paul George did have some really high highs when he was with Indiana. He he was a hell of a player, but he didn't want to be there, and he deservingly got a chilly return. So yeah, I, all I'm trying to say is I'm happy that you know the, the Knicks paid respect to Carmelo. Carmelo got a predictably mixed reaction, and and now it's over. We can move on from the uh, the melodrama. <laughs> Joe, you ready so, for the Oak, you're ready for the Oak Challenge because it's a good segue since we're talking Felton and Melo and you know <laughs> former Knicks and Oaks. This is uh, this one. He's one of, I believe it's three. I, as I told you, our, our stats guy's not here, but uh, I think he's one of three father son duos to have won national championships. Uh, different schools, but his father, Henry Bibby, won one. It is the former University of Arizona standout, Michael Bibby. Mike Bibby. You know, I always remember Mike Bibby because when he would come into the game and make a play, Clyde would say, uh, oh, like Lazarus, he has risen from the dead or something like that. One of Clyde's random, bizarre, <laughs> biblical references. <laughs> like, La- like Lazarus. <laughs> like Lazarus, yeah. He would always just say that about Bibby for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> and it always... <laughs> Jesus has brought him back to life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I love so, okay, Mike Bibby, how many teams do we got? That's a good question, Joey. Let me, uh, hold on. Because the stats guy's not here, I'm having to do this. How many teams do we have, Joey L? We have... One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, five other than, you know, not counting the Knicks. Oh, boy. Okay. He played on Sacramento, obviously. Of course. He played on Atlanta. Correct. <sighs> okay, those were the two that immediately came to mind. Um, so now I'm going to have to start really analyzing uh, what drove Mike Bibby to make the career moves that he made. Uh, <laughs> did he play for... Um, I want to say he played for the... I'm thinking one of the teams out west. Alright, did he play for... Um, the wow, I'm really struggling with this. The Clippers. No, that's wrong. He did not. Know, he did not. But there, there's. I'd say there's one more team that you should get of these, where he was like a legitimate, legitimate kind of player. And, uh, you know, the other, the other two, he's kind of just a, just there. <laughs> was he? Was he? Okay, I got another. Was he on Miami? He was. Okay. For one year. Um, uh, and and 
not very good, but you know, not terrible. Okay, he was on Miami. That was one of the was... tougher ones. Right, right. No, the that just came to me out of nowhere. Yeah. Because I feel like Miami's had a lot of those scrubs at the end of their careers. Yeah. Um, did he play for... I'm trying to think of why Sacramento got rid of Bibby, like how that all fell apart. Um, he played for... Let's go with... Uh... Let's go with Philly. Nope, that is incorrect. That's strike two. Strike two. Joe, there's okay. one that you should... The team that drafted him. It's a team that's relocated. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, give you a hint. But you usually give me a hint like that. Okay. Type of the deal, you know. Um, so was he on the... Uh, I don't even remember who drafted Was he on the... Um, like the the Supersonics slash Thunder. Uh, wrong Pacific Northwest. The wrong relocation. Oh man, the, it was the Grizzlies. Oh god, the Grizzlies and the Washington former Bullets were the two. Okay, wait. So were they the Vancouver Grizzlies? They were. Oh, sh- that's why I forgot it. Okay, that's a good one. The Vancouver yeah. Grizzlies. Great throwback jerseys. <laughs> great throwback jerseys. Also a great segue into our mailbag because we have a Vancouver Grizzlies uh, related question from Jan Big Fudge. And it is, how do you think the legend Bryant Big Country Reeves would do in the modern NBA? I think this uh, one goes two ways, Joe. I don't think he'd make it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so. I mean, you know, he ate himself <laughs> out of the league, yes, but, <laughs> well, one, you know, he could have been like Cantor, you know, a post-scorer, like he was for a couple of seasons. Um, unfortunately, he would have had to, He well, perhaps modern dieting would help. Perhaps. Perhaps but that this, would help. That would keep but the, elongate his career. This is this is not the era though for for players of the name Big Country. Uh, if, if anything, you'd be more likely to make it as a small island, you know, shooting threes. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he would be. Imagine the fascination. The guy would be like an absolute fan favorite. Like YouTube would have blown him up. I mean, I know he was a fan favorite. Listen, the guy inked a six-year, sixty-one million dollar extension. In 1997, I want to say. I mean, that is like crazy money now for a big, you know? Right. I mean, that is, talk about a heist, man. That's like the Lufthansa heist. <laughs> in, and rumor in, has in, it. In Canada. Yeah. Rumor has it he still lurks around in the woods of Vancouver. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I don't think the guy had been on an airplane until uh, until he played the NBA, so... You know, that's a, he's a, he's a, it's a, it's a classic fan favorite. We appreciate the question for sure. Um, Sash from Midtown wants to know which Nick would do the best on the bachelorette. Now, okay. This is an easy answer for me. I'm going to take some liberties here and this might change your answer. They have to be like, the girl can't know that they're Nick's players. You know what I mean? They got yeah. like fake, you know, jobs and uh, and I mean, they, you just got to have a girl who doesn't know anything about the NBA, so that you can't use like the stats, like oh, Chris Stapps, you know, she she wants, right. you know, he's a breeder, so it, no, that's not that's not how it's gonna go. We need like, all right, who's your guy? It's Joakim Noah. Oh wow! I mean, objectively sure. speaking, he I don't think he's one of the most top five handsome guys on the team. No, but he's got the charisma. He's about it. He can handle himself. I, I'm sure he would be the most entertaining choice. Him or Beasley, only because Beasley's incoherent half the time. So I'd be curious to see him trying to woo a young lady with the uh, you know, the brain usage speech. Um, but <laughs> for me, it's got to be Noah. 
Yeah. How about you? I, well, I, you know, sort of two things. One, every year, every season of The Bachelorette and The Bachelor, there's the heel. You know, uh-huh. like, to use a wrestling term, there's like the person who <laughs> they build up the villain. Right. This character so <laughs> the clearly heel. be the heel. Oh I man! So see him making alliances, and I'm not saying he's like going behind his teammates' back. But if he was on the Bachelor, Bachelorette rather, he would be like making right. alliances. He'd be, like, you'd see him be like, Lance Thomas is so not right for her, you know, and, and stuff like that. You know who I think would be smooth, and I think has like the looks, the charm, seems like very well spoken and and, uh, and and smooth is, is Courtney Lee. Courtney Lee, yeah, I, I was going, I was I thinking think that too as you were saying it. Courtney Lee would be would be a. I wouldn't want to go up against him. He's got he's got a good chemistry with uh, Rebecca Harlow. She says that he's he's <laughs> yeah, the go to guy for information. Are you breaking? Uh, are you breaking something? <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. Only what's been reported on MSG, which is that Rebecca Harlow said she goes to Courtney Lee for information. And for that, kudos, kudos to you, Courtney. That's that's all we and can we're say. Big fans of Rebecca Harla. We love Rebecca. We're She's the best. Desperately trying to get her on the pod. Um, so, all right, another podcast question. We have two from uh, Cash Only Doug. One is, why does the outside of the Barclays Center look like a dirty penny? <laughs> Doug, okay. Doug loves to make these super negative podcast questions, and I love it. And uh, do you think? Donovan, Billy Donovan, that is, tells his big three not to ISO every play, and they just don't listen, or he's just too shitty of a coach to run plays. <laughs> so that's kind of like the, uh, okay. is he incompetent, or is he just dumb? <laughs> <laughs> well, is he incompetent, or is he just not listening to you? Well, are you going to tackle the uh, Barclays penny question? <laughs> No, I, I kind of like the the looks of the Barclays Center. I think it's supposed to, because it used to be a rail yard. It used to be Atlantic Yards. It's like a, and I, I don't know. I always thought like the kind of rugged outside look was cool. I think it's a great place to watch games. The sight lines are unbelievable. The outside, I get that it's not for everyone, but I kind of like it. Yeah. No, I think it's cool too. I like the the blue glow to it. I don't know how to yeah. explain it. Yeah, when you I kind of come cool. out of the train, if you're taking the uh, 2, 3, 4, 5, you, you, you just go up the escalators and you see it. And if I was like a, a kid in Brooklyn, like I have memories of, you know, walking into Nick's games from the old like Nick and Steph's restaurant, you know, in the back door. And, and that was like my introduction. I could, I could see like a young Nets fan, you know, from Brooklyn, like riding the escalator and like having that moment where he sees the Barclays and it's like, Oh my God, you know, and that's kind of a moment that sticks with me. I could see that being kind of cool. So I like it. I'm a Barclays center fan. I, 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 I certainly, uh, Certainly think it's a, a nice read for the uh, for the, the Billy I Donovan. Know, I mean, what, what do you think? Because I, I found it kind of weird to watch this team. I I thought that. I mean, I can't really tell if it's like the personnel just doesn't. They don't have guys who move without the ball, and so they don't run plays for that. Like I, I couldn't tell if that was it or, or <laughs> everyone. I mean. I'll admit it. I don't watch many Thunder games. I've watched two all year, and then parts of other ones. But um, in neither of those yeah. games did they look like they were moving much. Um, so here's my take on it. Um, when I think about coaches and the performance of coaches throughout the league, I, I mostly try to think about two aspects. One is just obviously the X's and O's, and the second is kind of how they manage the personalities and the egos on the team and so given that there's kind of the same problem when Katie and Russ were, were together and now we have Katie or not Katie yeah, Russ Mello and PG I just don't think the players necessarily fully respect Billy Donovan and his voice versus like the way the Warriors respect Steve Kerr or the uh the Celtics respect Brad Stevens you know I just don't think he has that a, a good command over all the egos on the team. That's because he's clearly not incompetent. I mean, he won a national championship twice at Florida, and um, I don't think he would have gotten hired by Sam Presti if he 
wasn't competent, but I just don't think, I think that's what's missing. Um, yeah. Total speculation. You, you know what I will say to give him credit is a lot of times, and, and this is, this might be seen as like a medium lukewarm take, but um, a lot of times respect, it, it's easy to respect a guy when your team's winning and is finding success early. And when the team struggles early, regardless of whether or not that coach deserves respect, you you know, it the the team is vulnerable to kind of turn on the guy. You know what I mean? And right. we've seen it happen many times, many, many times in this league. Too many times to count. Um and and so that's just something that, you know, I I personally I think I think he's fine. I don't I don't think he's you know, we broke down tears a few weeks ago. I'd say he's middle of the pack to to you know, bottom half, but but definitely not like a bottom five coach in the league. Right. I, I wouldn't you know what? say a bottom third. Here's the thing with Billy Donovan is that I think in order for this Thunder team to unlock its potential, Melo needs to go to the bench and be that six-man, you know, have... If Melo's running the second unit as the pure first option, put the ball in the hole as much as you can, and then in the first unit it's more... PG and Russ kind of collaborating off one another. I think they'd be so much more effective. But again, it comes back to the egos because Melo, the first day when he was asked that, laughed off the question. But you so know it's what, like, Joe, well, so, and and that's a that's perfectly reasonable. And in some ways, I think Melo has the right to have an ego. I mean, the guy won a score and he does. No, no doubt. But you know what, Billy Donovan can do then play him for five minutes in the first quarter, then pull him. Right. You know, or or just lined it up so in the second half he's rocking with the bench. There are other ways to go around it. You know what I mean? You could play him bench guy minutes, or you know have him have him play you know a fourteen minute stretch straight, and then have him lined up with the bench guys. You know there are other ways. There are ways you can go around it. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's salvageable. I think he can figure it out. I, it's really hard for a coach to to work in to huge p i mean he's adding 30 to 40 shots a game in two players and into into a coach's game plan and we know that the off season is mostly for guys improving individually i mean teams get a couple weeks of training camp and preseason games not nearly enough to add two huge parts to a team so i'll give him the benefit of the doubt but I mean, it, he's in a very difficult situation. I mean, it's no, success he, or the failures on him because as far as the media and fans see it, he's got, you know, the keys to a Ferrari and he's <laughs> half he in the shoulder, definitely, half in the lane. <laughs> you know, he's definitely got the toughest job in the league. But I think that, you know, if he really wants to be an elite coach, like Popovich never had a problem benching Ginobili even though Ginobili was – clearly talented enough to be a starter and, yeah. and no one would question pop so obviously you know he doesn't have the credibility of a pop and you know all these guys are new and have egos and i'm not saying that billy donovan's a bad coach for not uh putting Melo on the bench but i just think that ultimately by the time the playoffs start if he doesn't make that move and the thunder struggle then we'll know that billy donovan didn't have the heart to tell Melo, like look man you gotta you got to take this one for the team. You know what I mean? That's the way I see it, at least. I agree. They so, got to at least try it. So, Joe, let's uh, let's preview next week. Yes. So, so we, we got... Have, this is probably our toughest week we've had uh, in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe since especially October. If, I, I would probably... Yeah, since October. Especially given the injury circumstances. Right. So we don't know KP's status for Monday night. We've got Charlotte in Charlotte. And God knows we're not a very good uh, road team. Uh, that's followed up on Thursday with a TNT game versus the Boston Celtics at the Garden, which I think we're going to play well in. I'm, I, we're a different team at the Garden. We're a different team than we were uh, a month and change ago when we – lost to, or two months ago when we lost to uh, 
to Boston. I, I think we'll play right. well. I'm expecting good showing. I don't think you can expect to win because Boston no. is damn good. And then we have Detroit on Friday, back end of a back-to-back. Um, so that looks like Detroit, a clear schedule loss. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, probably our best chance to win a game would be that game. I mean, I know they've played well lately after having a very poor stretch. Um, they're on a three-game winning streak against some crappy teams, but still. Um, and we're not a good road team. And after playing what I'd imagine to be an emotional game against Boston, it's tough. But, look, if we have no KP and we're playing Charlotte, um, a Charlotte team that's lost one of their last seven but is still – you know, still has Kemba Walker, <laughs> pretty much the prototypical guy who kills the Knicks, a scoring point guard. Um, that's tough. Yeah, it's. That's I mean, tough. I think if we have KP, I think we should beat Charlotte. I agree. If not, who knows? Um, I agree with you on the Boston game having uh, three days rest home at the Garden. I think I think the team will be pumped up for that game, and then the Detroit game is. Uh, it just doesn't look good, you know, uh, on the road. It, it, you got to chalk that one up to a loss just for the schedule's sake. So it looks like one and two, ultimately. Um, I hate to say it, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was 0-3. And, and yeah. if it was 2-1, and 2-1 I, and one I think would be a huge win. So, yeah, you know, th- that's, th- and that's the trade-off. We had an easy week last week, and now we got a tougher week this week. So that's just how it goes. I think the Charlotte game is, is, is super important. It sets the week up. It's, you know, two two days rest. Um, I, I think, or one full day rest, but I think if we get that win, it sets up the week. We're playing with house money. We have two straight road wins at that point. And then we're <laughs> going to have confidence going into that Detroit game, especially if we give Boston a game. Um, I would never say that I want us to go one and two. I think one and two is like the reasonable target. Uh, I'd be really happy with two and one, three and oh, I'd be on cloud nine. Um, but this is a big week. This is a big week to see what this team's all about. Because as we talked about, we played the least amount of road games in the NBA. Um, right. We struggle mightily on the road. And for this team to make the playoffs and be a legitimate team, we're going to have to start winning on the road. And let's do it. Let's start right now. Um, right. And, and this, this Charlotte game marks the beginning of a stretch where more often than not, the Knicks will be on the road. Um, the yeah. next week is three road games. And then uh, the week after that is, I think, three more road games. So um, the entire month of January... You know, the Knicks have that huge we have uh, Western Conference games. road string. We have four That's home one. games in January. I mean, that, yeah. we've been kind of dreading going into January. Long long before we even had road struggles that we, we had, you know, diagnosed. I mean, that's a really tough – We to say that we're going to be limping into the All-Star break in February <laughs> is not is not – you know, an absurd statement. I, I think right. January we're going to be pretty beat up. We're going to we, we're going to have earned that All Star break, and hopefully we'll have done it with a with a good record. But you know, just looking back um, before we move on to our closing thoughts is we talked about this last week, but we had this stretch of eight games where we said, you know, we wanted the Knicks to come out of it having won. Uh, I believe it was six of eight. It was started from the Miami game. It was Miami, Orlando, Indiana, Memphis, Chicago, Atlanta, the Lakers, and Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening was we dropped three of those games. Then we played Oklahoma City and won that game, which is not a game that we were expecting to win. So basically, I mean, you can you can kind of you know shift them around, and it's like. We're we're hitting the expectations that we set for the most part, and I'm really happy with the way they've played lately. Obviously, that Chicago game is a stinger, and looking back, it'd be really nice to say that we have a six-game winning streak instead of a four, but we're playing good basketball right now, and we're winning, you know, some games ugly. We're winning some games 
you know, in a pretty fashion, such as the OKC game. Um, but this team is going to be tested as the season wears on. And the tests are starting, you know, Monday. And that's when we really need to turn it up to the next level, get our guys healthy, um, and, and, and hit December, hit this, this winter stretch, hit January running. Right. And, and we should mention that it looks like Tim Hardaway Jr. could be out for an extended period of time. Uh, they're fearing a, fre- a stress fracture right now. He himself said that the injury was serious. We still don't know exactly what's up. So the team, without our second-best player, second-leading scorer, has responded really well. And I uh, just want to echo a lot of the thoughts that you just did. we got to get after it, starting with this Charlotte game tomorrow. All right. So, Joe, we've, uh, we've kind of made it a, the last few pods. We've, we've had uh, some closing thoughts that aren't totally um, – Knicks, or even for that matter, basketball related. Uh, this week, I want to talk, uh, strangely enough, MLS um, to a problem that is much bigger than just the MLS. So, basically, with the exception of injuries, there's nothing in the world of sports that upsets me more than team relocation. I mean, the, yes. the Knicks go, you know, oh, and however many more games we have. For the rest of the season, I will be crushed and angry, and the next few pods would be very negative. But we would know that come next season on opening night, we'd have the optimism and excitement that an upcoming campaign has. Right. Uh, Unfortunately for some teams, there is no next year. In the Columbus Crew Soccer Club's case, uh, there may be no 2019-2020 season. Um, see what's happening is Anthony Precourt, the crew chairman wants to move the team to Austin, Texas. It's a growing city. Yes. But a town with a similar demographic to Columbus. Um, and I mean, you know, you're going, you're skipping from the shadows of one giant university to that of another, just changing from a Buckeye to a Longhorn. Uh, in doing that, he's moving an original franchise in a league that lacks history that the other four major sports leagues boast. And, Beyond that, the crew are an important fabric of the MLS. They built the first soccer-specific stadium in the history of the league, something that has been a fortress for the U.S. men's national team. And their ugly but lovable crest has been an iconic symbol of how far Major League Soccer has come. So this is a soccer issue, but it brings up a larger issue in American sports. My grandfather said goodbye to the Brooklyn Dodgers. The bums. And you kind of mm. said goodbye to the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> a team can underperform, yes, and that's upsetting. But a team leaving you is far, far more devastating. So, friends of the pod, fans of the pod, Knicks Nation, tweet, comment, scream loudly. Make a scene if you want. Um, or contribute to the cause to save the crew. Because you never know when it could be your team that moves to another town. Wow, that was really powerful. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I, I, had, I had no idea you felt that way. Yeah, relocation really sucks. And, uh, you know, as, as someone who currently lives in San Diego, I've seen it firsthand. Um, you know, this this is a pretty much... Uh, the only team left is the Padres. And so this team still is stung by the Chargers' departure. If you ask different people what they think about the Chargers... You'll get different reactions ranging from I still root for them to I don't ever want them to win another game again. So no no fan base, no city should ever have to deal with that. And it's a shame that it comes down to uh, millionaires trying to uh, make a few extra bucks at the expense make of it, the entire community. Make a few extra bucks, maybe leverage their way into get public, you know, leverage cities into funding stadiums publicly, certain things like that. You know, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, a, a lot of people, the argument is, you know, well, you know, it's capitalism and whatnot. No, it's professional sports, okay? It's it's leagues with salary caps and, and, and all sorts of – the MLS has all sorts of bizarre rules. It's, it's a single entity league. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's this, – this isn't – it's not as simple as that. Um, it's unfortunate and for the fans, it's, it's unfair. 
Um, so that's my uh, impassioned rant of the day. Joe, I'm looking forward to next week. You have any uh, you have any closing thoughts or No, I think we we got it all down pat. I was excited to see Melo come back and uh, I'm really excited for this next week and let's hope that the Knicks can continue to stay alive in this playoff race. I believe we're fifth at the moment. Yeah. Well, let's get after it, Joe. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later, Cleo. Thank you all for listening to the Dishing and Swishing podcast, and we'll catch you next week.